welcome back everybody this this time i have a super special guest i don't think i've ever mentioned i've introduced somebody that way before but amanda welcome to the show thank you for having me i'm so excited to be here same here it's an honor to have you on the show so um before we dive in, could you sign, you know, could you find an actual word that you could describe your one word open with? So like one word, how you're feeling in this moment right before we kick it off. Oh, grateful. How I'm feeling is grateful. Yes. Beautiful. Okay. So take the next few minutes. Tell us who you are, what you do and who you help. Uh, my name is Amanda Brinkman. I'm the Chief Brand and Content Officer at Deluxe. And in my role, I um, have created and I host and produce an original series, an unscripted show called The Small Business Revolution. Uh, and The Small Business Revolution is a show where each season we revitalize a different small town's main street through its small businesses. So it is essentially a small business makeover show, um, but a makeover show with heart. Uh, we're really there to uh, celebrate the small businesses, share their stories, and walk alongside them with the resources that we know most small businesses need. So we help them with the you know, full marketing makeover. We help them you know, move their money, their finances, their operations, the things that don't always come naturally to entrepreneurs or aren't the reasons why they started their business. Uh, and so it's a great joy. And that's probably why I chose the word grateful, because it's such an honor to be able to work with these small businesses and to share their stories. Because for us, this is more than a show. From the very beginning, the vision was always, I wanted this really to feel like a movement. Um, we want to use this platform to inspire more people to understand the importance of supporting small businesses. That when you support a small business, when you buy local, you know, you're supporting not just a person, but their family, the ripple effect that they have within their community. You're helping keep your neighborhood um, and where you live special by having those entrepreneurs continue to offer those great and amazing personalized services. So, yeah. So anyway, it's an unscripted show. It's on Hulu and Prime Video. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're about to launch season six in November. Awesome. Congratulations on the continued success there. Thank you. Of course. I know that you make a big impact to a lot of people um, and, you know, not just a small impact, but you make, you know, huge impact. So can you share with us a recent win that you've encountered uh, that way our audience could hear like the win and also your takeaway from it. That would be great. Well, I would say during season five, which was shot entirely in 2020, and I probably don't even need to say more people can draw the conclusions as to what happened uh, in working with those small businesses. So we had started filming season five. It takes place in Fredonia, New York. And every season there's this big people nominate their favorite small town. We get, you know, 30,000 towns have been nominated over the course of the six seasons. There's a whole voting process. So when we show up in Fredonia, they've been working for months to, to win the small business revolution coming to their community. So it was a big deal. And we had started filming. We had picked the businesses that were going to be featured. Um, we had the first few episodes of each, our first few scenes of each episode in the can. And then, you know, March happened. And, you know, suddenly this is where you'd have a record scratch. I mean, we just had to completely, you know, not to overuse the 2020 word, but we had to pivot. Not only how we shot a and filmed a show, um, which basically uh, was from our basements, but how do we 
quickly respond to how disproportionately the pandemic was affecting small businesses, especially in those first few months. I mean, I think we can all kind of go back to and remember how little we knew about how long this was going to last, what exactly it was. And small businesses were just suffering right away. And so for us, it was the win is that we just were so blessed to be working on a program that was already helping small businesses, but that could directly walk alongside them through this unprecedented time. And so season five is actually nominated for an Emmy. It, it's almost a journal entry into what small businesses went through during 2020. And you, you know, as you see the, the, the course of the season go by in, in each of the episodes, I think we can all remember what that all felt like. And so for us, the win was that not only were we able to help those small businesses survive, but we actually were able to help them thrive and they're doing so well. And it just felt, I think everybody was searching for a way to be helpful during that time. And uh, it was just really rewarding for my team and I to be able to play that role for those entrepreneurs. That's really wonderful. Thanks for sharing that with us. Right. So let's talk about the other side of that. So let's talk about failure. I know a lot of people don't want to talk about failure. It's like, you know, something that goes unsaid or people try to avoid it. But, you know, it is what it is, right? You, as long as you could come out on the other side and learn something from it. So can you share with us some kind of a failure that you recently experienced? And, you know, what was your takeaway from it? Yeah, I mean, oh boy, this is a tough one. Um, I think, uh, I, want, I don't know if I would position it as a failure, but something I struggle with, and I think everyone has, is that 2020 just really opened our eyes personally and professionally to so many things. And I think I thought of it as a failure that I couldn't kind of stay as positive as I normally am these last 18 months. I mean, I think I had a hard time, you know, I would have real hard days and then I would have really positive days and I would try to figure out what were the common threads on the days where I had, you know, good days and was feeling positive and optimistic. And what were the common things that happened on the days where I just kind of couldn't get the engine going and was just feeling down. And I think I, for a long time, I thought of that as a failure because I think we all feel like, you know, we want to draw on our own resilience and we've proven it to ourselves in the past that we can, you know, get back up. But I think this is just, has just been a really mentally and emotionally traumatizing time, no matter what your station in life is or what your experience has been throughout the pandemic, if this was trauma and this is, you know, really hard to, to get through. And so I think what I'm starting to recognize, because we're not through it. I think that's what's also really hard about right now is I think at the beginning of the summer, we all felt like there was this glimmer of hope life was going to go back to quote unquote normal. And then we're realizing that's not really the case. And I think that that kind of almost that um, whiplash is, is really, you know, messing with people. And so I think what I've recognized from what I struggled with was that sometimes you just have to let yourself feel what you're feeling. And you just have to let those emotions cycle through because the harder you try to almost ignore it or convince yourself you're capable of, you know, being bigger than it and not letting it affect you. I think the longer you let that same feeling kind of go right back down. And I, and I think also it really showed me that I needed to continue to reach out to my community at a time when we weren't really able to get together with our friends and family as much as we'd like, or in the same environments or regularity. It was just so important to connect with other people and be honest about what our experiences were. And so I don't know if that qualifies as a failure, but I, for a long time, felt like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I just kind of shake this feeling? And I think what I learned from that is that sometimes you can't and you just need to let yourself, you know, work through it. Yeah, that, that was really well said. You just got to experience it and go through emotions and come out on the other side. And, you know, you got to plan 
Uh, you got to hope for the best, plan for the worst, right? And it was definitely, to your point, it was definitely trauma for all of us. And, um, you know, business will never be conducted the same going forward, you know. Um, and I know you're out there, you know, talking to communities and business owners and, uh, you know, driving impacts, like I said earlier. So with that said, I want to shift gears over to thought leadership. So I would love to hear your point of view as a thought leader. Um, what are the top three things that you think are directly correlated to someone being an awesome thought leader? Oh, being an awesome thought leader. I think being open to the fact that you yourself as a person and professionally will never be done growing or knowing things. I think when we see, you know, even the division we're experiencing within our country, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that as humans, we are a bit, our nature is to be homogenous. We want to spend other time with people who agree with us and that reinforce how we think because we our human instinct is to be affirmed for what we believe rather than challenged. And I think thought leaders are able to always be open to other opinions and continue to try and round out their understanding, um, to do the work around understanding um, where their gaps are and what they don't know and, and what their perhaps their privilege has prevented them from experiencing or things like that. So I think, I think the first thing I would say for thought leaders is to never kind of rest on your laurels and feel like I've, I've kind of figured out how all of this works, but to constantly be growing and to be vulnerable in that. I think, especially when you're a leader, you want to kind of, you want to have that poise, like you've, you've figured things out. And I think that that a good thought leader, I think is always looking for more. I think uh, the second thing I would say is it's somewhat related to that, but as it really, as it relates to leading teams, I think, you know, old school leadership used to be that, you know, if you're the boss, if you were the leader, if you were on the stage, you knew all the things. And that really isn't the way to lead teams anymore. Everybody wants to feel empowered and enabled and feel like they're able to use their unique skill set to make the, the whole of the project better. And I think a good leader is able to say, I don't know all the things. I'm here to create the vision, the mission, rally, you know, find the resources to do this work and protect the work. But you know, you, the team, you're the ones who are going to make this what it really can be. And I think that even translates into sort of thought leadership is, is not always having to have all of the answers. And then I think the third one is I think thought leaders really spend time with the either the communities that they're addressing or the communities that they're trying to reach. I think especially, I mean, I, my background is in the marketing world. We're almost so data rich that we've gotten away from just kind of gut instinct of, you know, what would resonate with people, you know, that qualitative, almost anthropologic study of people. You know, when I, when I think about how the small business revolution came to be, it was because I was out spending time with small businesses and I was moved by their stories and I was experiencing those stories firsthand, not because I looked at some study around what will help reach small businesses or what do small businesses care about right now? There's plenty of data quantitative that tells us what small businesses are thinking about or concerned about. I just wanted to really understand it from a, an experience perspective. So I think thought leaders never stop learning about who they're either working with or working for. Wow. That was really deep. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, let's talk about company culture. So what do you think are top attributes or, you know, things that are directly correlated to, a company having an awesome culture. I think it comes from the top down. I think you got to walk the you got to walk the walk. You got to talk the talk. You got to 
I mean, sometimes I think leaders will sometimes, you know, they'll say the right things, but you know, that old saying, or my mom used to always say that your, your actions are, are so loud. I can't hear what you're saying or whatever. I, I'm messing that up. I always uh, mix up analogies and metaphors, but, um, uh, but you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think it comes from the top down. Like what is, how, what is the leader's actual behavior? You can say you're trying to do this thing, but if you're making decisions that are counterintuitive to that, I think people can feel that they can feel that authenticity. And I think the more real you are as a leader, I think culture comes from if you want, you want your entire organization to want to be a part of the solution and the way forward. And, and I think the way you do that as a leader is you just, you inspire and you, you, you become someone who people want to work for and, and help be successful. And that service or servant leadership is really important where um, people feel like you're not too good to roll up your sleeves and you're doing the work and you care about each individual as human beings. And I think that's just hard to create in a PowerPoint document about mission and vision and culture. I think it's, it's really about the proof of, of those actions. And so um, company culture is a hard thing to pin down. And I think it's an evolution and a constant, I think every company is always seeking out how to continue to enhance that. Awesome. So let's talk about time. So I know you mentioned, you know, we're going through trauma right now. And last time we went through this in business was 2008, which was, you know, it was just as bad in a different way. If you could go back to 2008 when all that was going on, if you could give yourself one piece of advice, what would you say to yourself? Oh, that's great. I think, um, I well, I'm not sure if this is advice for myself, but it's certainly something that we have uh, observed for small businesses, which is, I think small businesses recognize, you know, the old adage that you show is, you know, personally have savings for that rainy day, you know, six months to a year of living expenses in case anything ever happens with your employment, et cetera. And I, people may have been personally subscribing to that theory with their personal finances, but we really saw that was why small businesses suffered so much both in 2008. And then again, during 2020 was that they just did not have the cash reserves for an emergency like this. And that's hard. That's far easier to advise someone have cash reserves than to actually make that happen, especially in the restaurant industry where margins are just, you know, razor thin without something like this as a pressure on your business. So I think what we could have learned from 2008 that would have been applied to 2020 is that you really need to always kind of have your business structured in a way that when there's pressure on it, you can go right to the places where you're the most profitable to keep the business afloat and to have that emergency um, funding to, to draw upon that you can't kind of you know, rely on monthly revenue. You have to kind of have a bit of a runway for yourself. And I hope that small businesses is certainly something we're advising them to do, but now is the time to start stocking that away because we just don't know when something like this will happen again. And it's just always a good way to run your business. So um, I think planning for the inevitable or not inevitable, planning for the unpredictable, actually the opposite uh, is probably the lesson we could have drawn from 2008 that would have been helpful in 2020. Absolutely. That was really awesome to hear. And I have another thought later on here. And she was saying, you know, with everything that's going on now, expect the unexpected going forward, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. which ties into what you said in terms of having, you know, uh, backup plan B and having reserves and stuff like that. So let's shift gears into payments. As you know, I'm in payments. I've been in payments all my life. And uh, I love, you know, having an impact to the industry as a whole. Um, I would love to hear your perspective on the, the common misconceptions 
of accepting payments for small business owners that you speak to on a normal basis? Yeah, most small businesses are just really afraid of fees. Um, you know, it, it isn't surprising that small businesses would uh, encourage cash transactions. And I don't know that a lot of consumers realize that either when they're paying for a credit card with a credit card, it's obviously far easier and more convenient for us as consumers, but I don't think they understand the burden of that on a small business. And I think that the um, processors that are, are working to make that not so burdensome on small businesses are ahead of the game. And I think that's really smart. And if there's a way to aggregate those fees or pass along the fees, if there's a ways to be creative about it, so it isn't coming right out of the small businesses profitability on each individual inner you know, transaction. I think that's smart. Um, I think uh, small businesses are really also leaning towards technology that makes it easier for them to accept multiple payments. When you look at both at the register online, they want something that's not only easy, but it's easy to reconcile in the background. And so the easier that the technology is, and just, again, spending time with small businesses, if you just, you know, spend time in a restaurant for a day, you can see where some of those gaps in the process are or where it's burdensome for the owner. And so it's just about ease of use. And then again, really looking at kind of the, that fee burden as it relates to the small business themselves. They wanna be able to accept all kinds of payments for again, the ease of kind of that customer experience, but how do we make sure that that isn't at the expense of the small business? Awesome. And from your point of view, when you're you know helping these businesses across the United States, um, do you see any specific pain points that our audience could walk away with? And if they're in the payments business and they're listening to this, they're like, you know, oh, because we have a way of thinking about it because we're in the business. We think about things differently than the actuality to what it represents for business owners and, and you know, what they care about. So I would love to hear your point of view on, the, you know, the, the common pain points when it comes to accepting payments also. Yeah, it's technology. I mean, I think we just have to go back to, you know, I think in America, we always think of entrepreneurs as like, you know, the, the businesses we see on Shark Tank that want to grow to, you know, worldwide status or at some point have a plan for an exit. But the average small business is someone who just loves making croissants and wanting to start a bakery in their neighborhood or, you know, loves bringing their own coffee or making their own jewelry. I mean, the, the average small business growth to them looks like hiring one more employee. And so the, the reasons they started their business for most small businesses is not because they couldn't wait to figure out their technology infrastructure or what their website should do or what their digital footprint should look like, or even what their branding should be or how they should market. They started it because they have a passion and a skill set. And so I think we just have to always remember, especially when we're in the industry of serving small businesses, some of these solutions and some of this technology come so easily to us. It's what we do. And I think we just have to spend time with small businesses and understand and recognize that those things don't, it's varied degrees of sophistication when it comes to technology. And so we have to make things as easy as possible for them to adopt and to understand and to implement because um, just little product changes can make a big difference in terms of what that actual experience is for that entrepreneur using the technology. And everything we do in service of small businesses, we say this at Deluxe all the time, and I think it's right. Everything we do should be so that the entrepreneur can get back to doing what they love. They don't love doing they don't love running the business. They love working in the business. And so um, how can we just help them get back to that? How can we make it as easy as possible? That is so beautiful. Do, do you have a book out already? Or if you're not, you, there's some good takeaways from it. Oh. 
of ideas right there. Well, I'll work on that next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because what you just said was so beautiful, and it's it came from you came from a place of you know passion and wanting to help. And you talked about the love of business owners, which this is ultimately why they get into it, you know, generally speaking. Um, but but sometimes they get away from that, right? Because and we all do at times here and there. But if you could go, if you could be back in touch, the whole your why that we always talk about in business, uh, that's huge. That and I'm so glad you you just touched on that. So sadly, as we're approaching to the end, um, before we get to the end, I know our audience is listening now. They've got a chance to understand who you are and got an insight into how you help and you drive impact, they're probably wondering, how can I find out more information and connect with you? So can you, you know, take this opportunity to give out your website address, your social handles and all that good stuff? Oh, well, thank you for asking. Yeah, I'm very active on, on social media. Um, uh, Instagram's my favorite, but uh, my handle is at Amanda K. Brinkman. The K is important. So at Amanda K. Brinkman. I have a public Facebook page and then Twitter, of course, LinkedIn, and then Instagram. Um, my website is amandakbrinkman.com. And then you can find out everything about the Small Business Revolution at smallbusinessrevolution.org or sbr.org. And again, the show is uh, it streams on that website for free, or it can be found on Hulu or Prime Video. Awesome. So here we are at the end. If you could sign us off with a one word close and tell us the context behind why you're choosing to sign off with this word, that would be great. Kindness. And then the reason I'm choosing that word is because I think there's just so much going on right now. We talked about it earlier in our time together this is a tough time to be a human being. And I think when we really think about what everyone is seeking and what everyone needs, it is kindness from each other and to ourselves. And so I think I live in constant pursuit of how I can infuse kindness in every moment and in every interaction with people because uh, you know, kindness to me is always the answer. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. And I know you're going to be our keynote speaker here later on this week. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person and shaking your hand. Me too. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having me. Of course.